listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Thanks for the download. If you like what you hear, hit us up at patreon.com slash 9to5cc. It's how you can give us money to make a podcast like this one. It is the 9to5 entertainment system where we talk about professional fighting like people who know what we're talking about. Just kidding. What do we talk about? Uh, we talk about personal injuries. Mm-hmm. We go on to talk about Dr. Death. Sports injuries. The Tohu, Tohu Circus Galleria. We talk about the shortest fight of all time in the UFC. Yeah. And then we talk about Mike Tyson. We sure do. We follow it up with Blindfolded Punch-Out, uh-huh. Venom with Tom Hardy, Wait What, Orson Scott Card, Stranger Things 3, and then Bad Times at the El Royale. I like the fact that we talked about professional fighting and then we were like, we need to make sense of this, and we talked about video game professional <laughs> All this and more on the 90s. Scott was um, mic fish- checking. It was just the mic check. Scott was fishing around for a domain to see if it was available. A new nine to five cc side project. Um, side project. I intend this to be the flagship of a whole new enterprise. Oh wow! What's up? It feels like it's been forever because it kind of has been forever because we recorded a double episode without Scott, and now I was like, that was like six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We haven't it's been almost two months ago. Yeah. How have you been, Scott? Good. Started a whole new website, Where, new podcast. Did you break your knees? Uh, yeah, I've been dealing with some uh, physical health issues. I, I, I broke my knee this winter. Cool. It sucks. Yeah. Wait, I, I, you really broke your knee? Yeah. yeah. You broke, broke? Well, no, I, I tore a whole bunch of cartilage in the inside of my left knee. And I am in the process of getting that fixed. Mm-hmm. I have an MRI on Saturday, so by the time... This goes up. It'll be just a few days away. Mm-hmm. So I'll know more then, but I'm going to get surgery in the fall. That's, I think, I guess the best time. Like, it is the best time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, I, I, like I've, I've, I've screwed up the major ligaments, like three out of my four major ligaments, but I've always stretched them. I've never torn them. And so, like, there's, like, this, like, every now and then, like, a doctor's like, so eventually there's a knee surgery in your future. And it's like, I guess the... At a certain point, probably in my 40s or whatever, to like, it's time. Yep. And I'm like, I guess, in, unless I tear them or damage them, I have the uh, luxury of kind of scheduling it. Because it's just like, yep, you have shitty ligaments. You'll just need to get them repaired. But I was like, we're like thinking about it. Like, when is the best time? Fall. Like, maybe spring, but probably fall. Like, you don't want it in the summer. You can't go swimming. You don't want it in the winter because then it's a death trap outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, you don't want to be hot in the cast either. Like, if you can choose... A time to have your leg. I won't, I won't be in a cast. Oh, cool. No, I'm getting... If the MRI comes back, what the doctor thinks it's going to come back mm-hmm. as. Uh, arthroscopic surgery. So Ooh. little they go cuts in. and they go in with micro-instruments. Mm-hmm. And they implant all kinds of mind-control devices and chips and as radioactive isotopes. Mm-hmm. And Suddenly you start voting conservative. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast. Doug, Doug Ford starts making a lot more sense. Yeah, exactly. Dollar beers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then, again, if if everything goes as planned, it'll be at night in the hospital, two weeks with no, not being on my feet, and then I can start physio. Yeah, cool. cool. So that's like the best thing, and the the type of surgery I'd be going in for has a very high success rate and a a very good rate of 100% recovery from it. Mm-hmm. So the idea of not having my knee be fragile yeah. is very, very nice. And the idea of have it not hurt 
is also. And I mean, the idea of being at least in some small way bionic. (laughs) No, there's actually not going to be any implants. They're not leaving you with some some cartilage shaving. It's more, more like a. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I need to. I guess I have to check in with my GP to see where where Netech is at, like because it's been a while since I've had an update. But I think like when they were talking about it as a kid, they were talking about putting in like whatever artificial ligaments or whatever that yeah. they. Could. Worst case scenario is that my kneecap is finished and I'll need knee replacement surgery. Ooh. That would be bad. That's awful. But I'm not thinking about that. Yes. Yeah. Then not... you'd be bionic. Yeah. Then I'd be bionic. Yes. <laughs> But even then, I'm I'm already thinking about the surgery and getting my big sharpie and writing on my right leg, not this leg. Huh? Yeah. yeah. yeah I worked in the operating room. I know. Man, have you guys listened to the Doctor Death podcast? Mm. Or slash, have you heard of Doctor Christopher Dunch? Please. Oh English. man, Doctor Death. Doctor Death. So this guy. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, I read this. It's all. I, I read the Newsweek story. That was like a twenty-page expose. On yeah, because it's yeah. incredibly contemporary, yeah. Yeah. right? It's yeah. like all of this occurred within the last, like, like between like twenty twelve and like twenty fifteen or something. So like, this s- is crazy. It's yeah. so crazy. So this guy, I have es- no idea what you're talking assent- about. Get, I'm getting, get, ready. get ready for it. Yeah. He essentially scams his way into becoming like a neurosurgeon. Okay. Nice. How he becomes a neurosurgeon is that he apparently develops or at least worked with people who were developing some kind of a crazy stem cell uh, situation, got involved with like funders and backers and stuff, even as a resident. And that all kind of fell through, but was still getting kind of pushed through the medical school program as he did so. So he got his doctorate and his like hours of residency, but mostly by like trying to get the stem cell stuff off the thing. Uh, off mostly the through re- theoretical research that never happened. Correct. But then they're like, congratulations, you are a spine surgeon. And he's like, yes, I, okay. I've, I don't know. I've told you guys this before. I don't know if I've ever said it on the pad- podcast. I was having lunch mm-hmm. in the lunchroom mm-hmm. when a surgeon sat down across from me. Scott works at a hospital. Yeah, I do. And it's just, and this isn't as crazy this is, as, as this it would is be. A surgeon I, this is a surgeon I know I had uh-huh. a professional relationship with, and he told me a joke. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you know what they call the person who graduates last in his class from medical school? And the doctor. And I said, no. And he said, doctor. And I went, huh. <laughs> Dr. Hibbert's a note. <laughs> yeah. I, I laughed and he laughed and I stopped laughing and he laughed more. And I was like, hmm. Where, how did you graduate, doc? He's a very accomplished yeah. research and, and surgeon. But when you go into a doctor's office and you see that diploma on the wall, that doesn't say A+. Plus. Yeah, fact. fact. Okay, but this guy so, was not A-plus material. So, so he was also not F-minus material. He was, I am not actually a doctor, and I am cutting on people's and, spines. But, but I am, like, so yeah. narcissistic and full of myself that I yeah. believe I can do this. Yeah. And, like, and then when they, they, they do the, the podcast is great. They kind of, like, they break apart his entire deal and stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, they talk to one of his old football buddies who was like, yeah, that's who he was not very good at football, but would, like, practice harder than anyone and, like, believe that he was going to be, like, NFL material. Mm. And, like, Coach is like, you don't have it in you, man. And he's like, hard work pays off. Like, he was just so, like, crazy that he believed that he could, like, mind over matter anything Mm. up to and including, like, spinal surgeries. So at one point, uh, they – when they're they're checking his, like um, – Sort of, I guess, credentials and stuff. They they go. They call the 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 medical school, the school hospital. What's what do they call those hospitals where residents work at? Hospital schools. I know they're real hospitals. Teaching hospitals. Teaching hospitals. They call the teaching hospital or whatever. uh, And they were like, oh, he's probably like assisted in this type of surgery, like like 
our records indicate between like 30 and 60 times. Mm -hmm. And then they ask like a contemporary and he was like, by the time I was done my residency, not exaggerating, I had assisted on a thousand of these surgeries. This is how routine it is. He's like, it doesn't, he's like, it's not possible that in his time in medical school throughout his residency, he only did this 30 to 60 times. Like, he's like, literally a thousand is my experience. Mm -hmm. He's like, if you had said like two or 300, I would have been like, that's still low. <laughs> you know, well, the like, story gets dramatically worse. It gets worse. Yeah. So of, I mean, to, to go listen to the show, it's great. It's called yeah. Dr. Death. Um, or read it. I, it might not have been Newsweek, but there was a really long, maybe it was The Atlantic or something, maybe. published an enormous po investigation. Podcast is, is A+, plus, though. It's mm -hmm. like the, I think it's like seven parts, which are up to his initial uh, conviction, and then four parts regarding his appeal. Hmm. Uh, and it's like... He appeals? Of course he appeals. Inexplicable. America. It's also, it is also the first time. So anyway, so this guy operates on 38 people. Okay, 33 of them have uh, complications, uh, like lasting complications afterwards and like never fully recover. Some of those include like I'm now paralyzed or no. three of them are OK. Two of them are dead, like died due to the complications. So he had three successful surgeries in 38 surgeries. That's it. He shoved a sponge in a guy's neck and left it there. Every time anyone assists with it, they're like, he's bleeding all over the place. There's way more blood. And he just like, he's like, give me like, come like they describe it like other doctors and nurses and stuff. Like just like having like a, a basically like a, I mean, whatever a medical screwdriver is just like jamming it into the guy's spine and like wiggling it around. And like the nurses are like, what do we do? And, they're, and he's like, I'm the doctor. And they're like, he's the doctor. And they would like tell other doctors, but by then everything is almost always too late. Yeah. Like they're like rushing these patients out and stuff. And then he <clears> keeps <throat> moving from hospital to hospital because he's like, these are such expensive surgeries. Then hospitals are privatized. They just see the degree and sign it up because it's like a cash cow. Like the system is not like really yeah. checking credentials. And, and I was going to say that that is not a thing that could happen at the operating room that I worked in. The the staff would finish that, would stop that. Hmm. Like, if they witness malpractice, whether malicious or accidental, I, I believe that the nurse in charge of the operation can and would stop. I don't know. I, I was I, listening to this whole entire thing. I mean, obviously, I think that the Canadian system, without necessarily having privatized healthcare, avoids a lot of these problems, because that was one of the things that they, that they talked about, is they were like, how is this happening, and how is the medical community not stopping it? So that's that's one of the most interesting parts when I when I went yeah. through the story was how the hospitals are incentivized to cover this up because if they if they if it becomes public that they had this doctor doing this crazy shit and that he was not properly credentialed, all of these patients can come back to the hospital and try and sue yeah, them they, or get money out of them. Yeah. So it becomes a whole liability issue. And so they, he moved from like seven different hospitals. Something, or something? That. he's yeah. moving around, and then on top of that, yeah. nobody wants to take these cases in Texas because I think the maximum the maximum sum you can sue a doctor for in Texas is two hundred grand. Hmm. So doc so lawyers are like, it's not worth it. Right. Like you're not getting that big settlement. You're getting 200 grand. Like, and as a lawyer, you're like, that's not even, that's not worth my while. My cut yeah. of that. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's it. Like given, and, and you're like, it's incredibly difficult to prove intent in medical malpractice, right? Like right. To, mm -hmm. to get it. So anyway, so they tried him up on elderly abuse. So, and it's the first time in American history that um, a doctor has been criminally tried for something that has happened, like... In the clinical care. In the clinical care capacity, yeah. So, 
They got him. <laughs> like, like I was like, thank goodness. But yeah, but just the entire that the fact that he got to a put thirty eight people like just even just even just being that unqualified and you're still like here you go surgery time. I was like in my head I'm like, and when you listen to the guy talk like he's just you have like admiration is the wrong word but like just like an unbelievable. Like you talk, like the guy's drinking and doing cocaine and like having sex. Yeah, with a lot his, of drugs. Involved, exactly, yeah. having sex with his like uh, like secretary and while he impregnates someone else, and then like also sending emails saying that like I am like a god and a cold-blooded killer when I please. And I was like, like as a movie character, like maybe like a Lynch kind of like villain or something. I'm like a plus. As a real person, you're a horrible monster. Like. Like, holy crap, like, just driving his car with an open beer when they pulled him over. I was like, what is wrong with him? In his bloody scrubs, driving his car, you're like, what is happening with this person? Like, everything you think a doctor should not be is this dude. Like, nice. Yeah, awful, awful. And like I said, just that I think the most horrifying part about it was that, like, the system, even while they were, like, multiple doctors were like, we need to try to stop this guy. It became difficult. Like, like they could get him at most kicked out of their hospital, mm-hmm. but then they couldn't revoke his like his license, so he would just go to another hospital. They would see like a cash cow because like neurosurgeons are expensive. Like, oh god, it's so weird. I went to the circus on Saturday. Oh, the circus. So, the circus was uh, Tohu. You guys heard of this thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went uh, in the spring. Okay, so the circus show was called Galleria. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really awesome circusing. Yep. Incredible tumbling and juggling and flipping off of each other. And, you know, like one guy goes on a little bouncy board and jumps up onto another guy's shoulders. And then both of them are already on another guy's shoulders. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. The, um, the like, theme of it all was, like, at the art gallery, mm. which is the kind of theme that I think you have to be in the arts to appreciate. Mm-hmm. It seems really silly to me. Did not get any of, that, any of that nonsense. But, like, the tricks were amazing. So it was kind of worth it. Yeah. Yep. Expensive nice. though, fifty bucks. Really? Yep, kind of much for uh, and it's like far, you know, like it's not. Yeah, that's because I was like, we got tickets to Tohu. Admittedly, I think we got them through a, like a Fido deal or something, mm-hmm. but we paid like under twenty, and this was in the spring. That's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. Even like at fifty, it's like just a little too much. This was definitely like really good tumbling and stuff. Yeah. And obviously you always have to you always have to think about the like Cirque du Soleil comparison. Yeah, so but Cirque I mean, but du Soleil that's, that's like top tier. Exactly. Like in this case they they obviously didn't have the budget for amazing costuming or or sets or whatever, but yeah. in a sense that makes it all better cuz they have to focus more on surprising you with good tricks or yeah, timing yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty successful in that regard. You know, so the one that we saw was actually it was a couple of the the performers. I don't know if they this is the same deal, mm-hmm. but like each performer that we saw was actually associated with another circus. Huh. So it was like them working out material for their own like respective circuses. So like one of the one of the ladies and like probably the most talented lady was like on contract to Cirque du Soleil and yeah. like got announced as such. Hmm. And so like whatever material she was working with presumably was like gonna end up in gonna a show end there. up somewhere in a Cirque du Soleil performance so and they would like yeah they announced them from like this person is from this person and whatever and like it's very sim- similar deal their their framework for the one that I saw was uh, if they were all guests at a hotel so it's sure. like each person sort of like came in with their bags and whatever and then like unpacked their bags and then did their circus thing and then like hmm. packed it back up and like the the bellhop was the main the host and whatever right I don't know I mean 
circus stuff, man. It's amazing. Yeah. I also, like, did you have that, like, feeling of, like, woefully inadequate? Like, because I can't tumble through the air like a magical fucking yeah. bird. <laughs> Not really. I don't know. I'm sure if I spent a couple of years figuring it out, I could I could do some little tumbles. I mean, yeah, once I get my knee fixed, that's yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the jump goals. Like a lot of the tumbling, the tumbling isn't always what like gets it. Like the trapeze stuff, I'm like, I feel I could work this out. Like with training and stuff, oh. it's something. It's like the people with like the zero percent body fat who could do like yeah. the one handed push up while holding someone in the air on their foot, and then like going up and down. You're like. What? The, 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 it's the 0% body fat that makes me not impressed. I'm like, yeah. do that as a fat fucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes Kevin... That's I, a, I find walking up the stairs hard. Put some weight on it. That's what makes Kevin Owens such a compelling performer. You're like, weird. One like, of the first, how does he have so much endurance? And how can he do flips and things with that gut? <laughs> one of the first Strict to shows I went to go see had guys climbing up poles that were like... But like, their body was perpendicular to the to the pole, yeah. horizontal to the ground, and they were holding themselves at arm's length, and then yeah. they were climbing their bodies up the pole. Yeah. Right? That yeah. amount of grip strength what? sounds like masturbation what? is very uncomfortable. What the crap? <laughs> they accidentally tear their dick off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think masturbation of any sort is a problem at the Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, houses. I feel like regular masturbation might be with the grip strength and calluses. That can't be fun. Are you... They got a lot of chuck. Implying that, like... Circus town where the circus folk live is just like an unending orgy of circus folk. I am employing that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Like, why wouldn't it be? Uh-huh. Like the uh, Olympic Village. Yeah. 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 What was it? What was that thing where they were like inf- infamously or famously or whatever? I think it was Atlanta where they were like, they ran out of condoms and had to like ship in like another like truckload yeah. of condoms to the Olympic Village, being like, hey, we're a bunch of 20 year old people who have been pent up and aggressively training for this one thing and that was yesterday and now <laughs> sex <laughs> like, yep. like can you imagine the like after your olympic performance you're like well good my- or bad good or bad like whatever totally. I mean, it's, it's done it's the thing that a lot of these people have been like devoting years if not lives to yeah. yes with a caveat hmm. i don't imagine the marathon runners are up for much the next day Really slow. I don't know. Some of the marathon guys, like the ultra marathon runners, they'll run multiple marathons back to back. Like I bet you're. Yeah, but you yeah. think you don't think they'll lay it all on the line for the Olympics? I feel like the next day they're mostly just drinking Gatorade. But if someone was like, you Eating can starfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can starfish and <laughs> just spread out and just let it happen. There's some gymnasts. That's romantic. Keith, that's There's some good. gymnasts who could like reward the marathon runner while he or she just lie still the gymnast can take control with the tumbling mm-hmm. the expertise an unending orgy of circus folk <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we're the strong man uh-huh. <laughs> lifting people maybe like a power lifter to mm-hmm. find a marathon runner at the next day mm-hmm. just pick them up <laughs> you are my plaything <laughs> uh i don't know is there any, i was like is there any sports news oh there is kind of sports news uh, oh. the women's world cup finished and mm. They were a political powerhouse. Yeah. After Team USA destroyed everyone and then said in no uncertain terms that they had no interest in meeting the president. Mm-hmm. Pretty, yeah. pretty fun. I, re- I mean, they could have been even funnier about it. They could have been like, due to the fact that none of us want our pussies grabbed, we are not going to the White House. They were like one step short of I know. That. They, they did that as politically correctly as they had yeah. possible. But like... Um, the UFC 235 passed by, and a new world record was set. The shortest fight. Yep. Yep. The oh, sh- I did not hear about this. Yeah. Ben Jorge Masvidal obliterated Ben Askren's in 
five seconds? I think it was even like that's what like, they call. Well, it's it was five seconds because there's like the horn. They square off a little bit, and then he runs at him. But it's a single contact, blows him up at the knee, and it's not one of those like quick whistles off like a Jose Aldo, and then he pops back up. Like literally, I thought Ben Askren was dead. He was out for minutes, right? Yeah, two minutes. Or like something. he's unconscious, out cold, while Jorge Masvidal is like strutting around and like thing to the crowd and then Jorge Masvidal goes like whoop and like goes stiff and falls down and pretends to be dead and I was like you're going to feel pretty bad if you he killed actually him dies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, like as a viewer I was like worried for Ben Askren's health I was like I'm like I do appreciate that is, that is Bushwhacker Luke uh, Santino Morella Royal Rumble times right five seconds pretty much yeah dude and it's like and Ben Askren is like um, like a specialized like catch fighter guy whatever and everyone's like talking up his style or whatever and Masvidal is just like boom and they're like they're like, so, like, can you explain what happened? And he was just sort of like, Ben's a bum. <laughs> and he's like, I can't say anymore. Or I'm going to get offensive. There, there was a lot of trash talking between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, like, sub to the UHF, I mean, when you're, when you're cockfighting for money, I guess. Right. Well, but the, the thing was that... Um, let's, let's be fair here. Trash talking kind of South is fights. what the best do. Yeah. South fights. But the thing is, so, like, Ben Askren, though, and I mean, and, and again, absolutely, I'm sure that he's in the market of selling fights and everything. So, but he beat uh, Robbie Lawler uh, in, an, like, a no contest where uh, the ref called it off. But, like, he was not out. And, like, yeah. even the replay even shows, like, the ref goes down and is like, are you, like, like goes to Robbie. And Robbie, like, you see it in the replay, gives him a thumbs up. And then the ref, like, blows the call and calls it off right after Robbie, like, gives the thumbs up in the hold. And Ben Askren wouldn't take the rematch. So I'm like, eh. I was like, that's, like, next level WWE heel move. Being like, I don't need the rematch. You know, and I'm like, in the world of legitimate fighting, I mean, like, you take that rematch. Like, that was a, like, you won by referee error, essentially. You know, like, like, and it's clear as day. It wasn't, wasn't a quick call or whatever. It's like, you see, whatever. So... Masvidal apparently like called out Ben just on not taking that, and I was like, I can ref- obviously you want to trash talk and sell the fight, so on and, and so forth. I mean, but I'm like, I can see some when profe- it, like when pro- it comes to a, like a professional mixed martial arts fight. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to get hit at all and finishing the fight in five seconds. Oh, absolutely! Like no one, no one's faulting Masvidal for trying to like take him out, but like I mean, it's like the perfect storm of events like he's going for the knee and like so many times you'll see kind of like guys go for the big knee and then kind of like get it sidestepped or whatever but it's like as like as he's running up like he's Ask- trying to run for a takedown well Askren like leans in to go for the takedown so he's like he like brings he's his totally predicted brings 100% his head. knew he was gonna, gonna well, that's all that he, but he's, a, he's like a specialized like yeah. catch fighter like that's <clears throat> what he would do every time he's not a like people even describe Ben Askren as not a mixed martial artist he's like a takedown tie you up in a knot and that's it like he doesn't cross train the way a lot of these other guys do so he would 100% be going for that takedown just might not want to do that if you don't if you're unable to see an incoming strike yeah dude and then also Amanda Nunes kind of uh, continues to cement herself as possibly the Mm -hmm. greatest of all time she beat Holly Holm yep beat Holly Holm by like kicking her head off in the first round like Mm -hmm. certainly it was very interesting, uh, interesting fight out of Amanda Nunes because Holly Holm does this thing where her stance is very quick. Like if you think like Street Fighter stance, it looks like if you watch Holly Holm fight, it looks like you know when you set like the turbo mode on mm-hmm. max, like she's bouncing a little too fast. And everybody's kind of like wiggling. That's like Holly Holm's like default stance, and apparently mm-hmm. like it throws off people's tempo and whatever. And she's like, sh- for, she's a boxer mostly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Like she's like a high, high, high caliber sh- boxer, and it's considered to kind of be the like. 
probably one of the best stand-up strikers in the women's division. So it's like she can do that, keep you off your game, because especially if you match her tempo, you're, you're not, not used to it. You're not necessarily not used to it, but you're also – it's like it's so quick that you're not necessarily in a good spot to transition to a takedown. So she can kind of like keep you on your feet if you kind of match her little feints and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Amanda Nunes, though, like did match her tempo. So I was like, like weird flex by Amanda Nunes in a weird way to not like – to get baited in by that as a champion, but then kicked her head off. So it all worked out. But like, she was certainly, I would say more cautious than she's ever been. I think she like recognized that Holly Holmes striking power was like something to not be trifled with, but then yeah. holy cow, did she knock her out? Did you, um, do you remember what happened to Rose Nami Yunus? Was she around? Uh, still? She defended a bunch of times and yeah. then lost her belt to someone, hmm. but it was someone who is an average. No one knows what's going on. at straw weight. Cause it was someone that Joanna had kind of like decimated. So now yeah. there might be like a rock, paper, scissors situation at the straw weight. Right. <laughs> Where it's like this girl, if this girl fights Nami Yunus, she could potentially beat Nami Yunus. But if she fights Joanna, Joanna will probably like obliterate her. Right. So like there's a weird thing. At Put the all show. three of them into the octagon. That's what I'm saying. Triple threats. <laughs> right. I watch wrestling. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean like, uh, what's her name? Why did I blank on her name? Amanda Nunes is like, unbelievable it's like beating home yeah beating chris cyborg beating holly home like i was like they're like everyone that everyone who's anybody at that weight has either been like and like obliterated all of them kind of thing like no mm-hmm. like nothing's gone to decision and you're like she's what do you do with that it's like it sucks for the division kind of thing where you're like well i mean it does and it doesn't how long did anderson silva sit there at middleweight i guess so you know just he was what three years Four years as champ, she's so Nunes must be coming up on two at least. I don't know. Uh, professional fighting, Amanda. It's same thing with John Jones. He never lost a fight for, for fucking ever. He just kept getting still suspended. Hasn't. Still hasn't. Essentially, <laughs> the only person does DC ever win over him? I think DC might have one, right? Yeah, but it's not a great win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she is eighteen four and zero. Oh, and how long has she held the championship since? She's number fifth in the pound-for-pound pound ranking, and she has been champion, champion. Where? How does it say? It should say championships and accomplishments. List of fights. Yeah. Martial arts career. This is a great podcast. It is. It's wonderful. Me, me kind of like strike force and Victor <laughs> FC... Featherweight I guess champion. We need to know I really I know. Did you oh, right. She's also dual champion right now. Because she beat Cyborg at Featherweight for the belt. So And she also says, this is baller. She says that she wants to defend both belts because she's like, it's the only way I'll find competition is to defend in both weight classes. Cool. So she's That's not, crazy. She's not like Conor McGregoring it. So she's been Featherweight since... Well, she also didn't go and box somebody for $100 million. It's true. Yeah, you know. 52. 52. Really? You didn't get 100? Huh. Uh, yeah. I think the... So there we go. July... Take was 100. She beat Misha Tate in uh, 2016. So she's been champ for three years three now. Years. Yep. Three years and now six months into her other championship reign. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That's, that's how dominant champions are. Yeah, for G- sure. GSP was champion for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good? Doesn't it build a, like a legacy and it like... Says it, does, it builds name recognition yeah. for it, the brand for... Uh, a sport that has a high turnover turnover in, in top-tier yeah. athletes. Yeah. yeah. But the problem is that if someone's too dominant, like when uh, when Holly Holm beat Rousey, it was Rousey's like lowest buy because people were st- 
stopping to buy Rousey main events because they were like, why yeah, am I paying? Same thing with the Tyson-Buster Douglas fight. Yeah. Either like, like the, Vegas couldn't make money on it because they couldn't give odds. Yeah. It was just like, we can't do this. And the buy rate was super low. And Yeah, that's it. I mean, it was just... People people made some they money when ar- Holly Holm won, though. They like, had yeah. already paid Evander Holyfield for the next match for the title against Tyson. Mm-hmm. They had already given him the money. Like, once Tyson finishes with Douglas, you're up. Here's your check. Yeah. Jeez. And then Tyson lost, and they were like, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened, like, so what was the story with that? Like, then he just... just Buster went, Douglas? Yeah, and then... Like, he what? got $15 million from the purse for the heavyweight champion. Yeah. He lost his next bout. To Evander Holyfield and immediately retired a multimillionaire. Nice. He was like, boxing sucks. <laughs> he got he gave a, he bought his mom a house, he bought himself a house and a motorcycle. He got really fat. Nice. And was just like, Yeah, boxing. Boxing sucks. Yeah, but that's what I was saying. I was like, I was like, his purse must have been enough to retire on. Like, yeah. Is that purse and the purse he was able to demand as the guy who beat Tyson for the next fight. Yeah, like mm-hmm. said, he must have he must have pulled some reasonable bank going up against Holyfield too. And that was it. He lost that. Was like, yeah, this sucks. And Holyfield like Kramer must have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, but what happened with the Tyson fight? Was Tyson just off his game? Like, like, like every everything that Douglas did, Tyson couldn't do. And Tyson had changed uh, trainers. Okay. So Tyson had this really amazing ability to dodge jabs, mm-hmm. and this was the thing that his trainer, from when he was a teenager all the way through, had really worked on, mm-hmm. and. Um, Don King got political with the the money that Tyson was paying to this trainer. Okay. And had also influenced the trainer to say the the new trainer to be like Tyson's a hitter and that's what sells. People want to see Tyson people knock want to people see out. The mm-hmm. hurts, yeah. Not him dodge a bunch of fights, punches. And then Douglas just jabbed him in the face again and again and again for 10 rounds until they knocked him out. Like mm-hmm. just which I still kind of contend that that's sort of what happened with Rousey against home. Like there was a there was a training faux pas. Yeah. When she like she ate a Holly Holm punch, and then didn't didn't go for a takedown, and then just kept sta- staying on standing, and then just kept eating Holly Holm punches. And you're like, she, Holly Holm is not necessarily the most best fighter in the world, but like has striking down to the point where you're like, four years later, you have the current dominant champion like. Heavily respecting Holly Holmes' punches yeah. and Rousey just not making that adjustment in the fight. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, as well, if you watch early Tyson fights, you'll see he's he's a knockout counter puncher. Mm-hmm. So it, he was shorter. He had shorter arms than almost everyone he fought. Yeah, yeah, he was teen tiny. Yeah, he needed to dodge a jab, dodge a jab, and then uppercut someone to to holy hell. Mm-hmm. And, and that would be his undoing when he fought Little Mac. Yeah, well, you got a counter punch. If you can't counterpunch Mike Tyson, he's going to drop you. Have you watched the people who beat that game blindfolded? I have not. Like, that's a thing at, at, at AGDQs now. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Dude, uh, they, they, I have seen it. I, I watched, I think we talked about the show uh, yeah. in the past, Summoning Salt, yep. the, yeah. the YouTube uh, channel. He does one about the blindfolded Mike Tyson. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One. I haven't watched that episode yet. I've watched his, the first ever episode of Summoning Salt is about Mike Tyson because he's a, he himself is number one or number two on the Mike Tyson speed run. Really? Like the guy the guy that does those those summoning salt videos huh. is actually like either champion Mike Tyson speedrunner or like number 2 behind hmm. it cuz everything apparently goes into the last fight like everybody can get to Tyson in about 
the same amount of time. They can beat everybody. But it's like Tyson is so crazy. Well, Tyson is so crazy, and it's like you're talking about like you're timing like pixel perfect frames and counters, mm-hmm. and it's like there's like techniques that open up counters in like times where the game shouldn't kind of let you. Mm-hmm. It's still, and you need to be like absolutely perfect, and it relies on which punches Tyson throws. So like, cause it, and like, it is apparently actually it's not uh, like Tyson's punches aren't procedural. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 what do you, what's the combos are like once he starts a pattern, that pattern runs. Yeah. But the order that he throws the patterns is, is procedural. Is, so you're yeah. literally he's like the the apparently the Mike Tyson punch out uh, world champion time or whatever is probably not going to get broken because the world champion has like the optimal series of Mike Tyson punches. Right. Right. right, right so right, they're right, like, right. it is probably the fastest anyone could actually do the game. Hmm. Like cool. programming wise. But anyway, yeah, but yeah, yeah. They do it blindfolded, blindfolded cause yeah. they're like, now we need a new record to go after. And I'm like, I don't know. There's sound cues that they respond A lot to. of them, there's sound cues. But then, yeah. like, but then they get to somewhere. There's like nothing, you know, you mostly have to have some luck to get past it. Yeah. It's still pretty awesome. It's like, I remember there was a dude who did all of, um, the Ocarina of Time blind Jeez. as a blind person. And yeah. apparently the big thing was that if you get close to a ledge or something, uh, Navi makes a little noise. Hmm. So like that, that apparently was like key in his enjoyment of Ocarina of Time. Uh-huh. It was just sort of enjoyment. Like, I mean, Ooh. like... People don't make games for blind people. You know? They do like not, they... but I believe that game does not have any actual audio cues and has no 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 but there, he had a a, a, a text, text to voice text to voice reader so mm. like all of the all of the dialogue whatever and he, he was saying that like a lot of our a lot of rpgs um he would he could like do with a friend or whatever right like, where his friend like he's like and he's like the the person doesn't need to be like that involved you're just sort of like am i walking towards the door yeah <laughs> you know? Some of the Dragon Quest games had like an audio cue when you bumped into anything, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe you could sort of get yourself around like that. But man, I'm sure. That'd like, be a I mean, this guy experience. has probably a world of fun in like a dictated Zork, though. Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like where you're like where there is no graphics, just text-based games. Like they must exist. They must have a narrated sure. Zork. I'm like, sure. If not, get on that. Blind people need games. Mm-hmm. Did you watch any movies, Scott? Did you watch your... I yeah. did not watch my movie. Oh. No! We gave you, like, time. two months off. Tragedy. Yeah. I feel like two months is a lot of time to... It's not a lot of time to watch United Forever. <laughs> United Passion. <laughs> Passion Forever. Uh-huh. Did you watch anything else? Uh, I did. I watched some stuff. Uh, let me... Uh, Think about the... that very no, carefully. No, I, I keep a list of the stuff I watch, so... Uh-huh. Did you watch any of uh, the new Stranger Things? Is it like too early to talk about that? I watched the first two episodes. Ah, that yeah. is definitely what I watched and I want to talk about. I watched Venom. Venom? Yes. Oh, with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom, Ed. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Oh, Eddie. Yep. How did he do? <laughs> that movie is wonderfully stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that movie is, um, I find it very hard to believe that Venom is what Sony is coming up with to counter Marvel in an attempt to keep Spider-Man under okay. their umbrella. Do you, I but mean... in its schlockiness, there is quality. Okay. Right now, it is not Catwoman. It is 
fine. It's like more Evil Dead than it is Catwoman. Okay. Tom Hardy is Venom. Oh, Eddie. I love you, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was... I, I need to see that movie just because of how Greg uh, Wyshynski just continually referenced the Venom Greg, talking... Greg, Greg honestly overdoes it, but... Yeah, Venom, the symbiote, and Eddie Brock do have some amazing conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it becomes like a, a running meme on a hockey podcast that Scott and I listen to where one of the guys is like, I love you, Eddie. I would never eat people. I'm eating people again, Eddie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is It is to the Spider-Man Sony-verse mm-hmm. as uh, Deadpool is to the Fox X-verse. Huh. Okay. It's just... It's fine. It's yeah. a little bit funny. It, I mean, I mean, I'm interested to see it. It, ne- it didn't really like move the needle for me in terms of like things that I was like. I'm glad I the Amazing pay. Spider-Man Two was so fucking dumb. I I yes. had trouble wanting to be excited about another Spider-Man movie. But did you see Homecoming? Mm, I think I turned it off halfway through. Homecoming didn't really the grab vulture, me. Tom Holland and the yeah. Vulture. That's shock, shocking Michael to me. Michael Keaton. Because even yeah. just Michael Keaton as the Vulture is like a joy to watch. It didn't grab me. The rest of it is also super fun. It, I mean, is, it is probably closer to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 in mm-hmm. that like schlocky horror movie tropes stuff. This is the Venom? Venom. Yeah. Venom. And uh, it's stupid and fun. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was fine. That's fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's like, I'm I'm so <clears throat> ready. Not every not every superhero movie needs to be the Avengers. The Avengers, Avengers. Opus. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I that was a big part of why. I mean, I'm 99 sure we talked about it on the show before. Uh, but like the Umbrella Academy, like just to be like something different in mm-hmm. superhero world. I'm like literally ready for anything different after the 20 something movies that are all like in many ways comparable. <laughs> Like very many ways, you know, like yeah. like they're fun, and some of them are fine. Like, I'm, uh, I, I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Why it's okay that those twenty-two movies are the same movie, they're the same story. It's because it's the Marvel universe, and mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, and and, I, and I those wanna, like, those movies are in the Marvel universe, and that's fine. But not every superhero movie needs to be the Marvel universe. Exactly. That's that's mm-hmm. my kind of and and apparently that's what they want for Phase Two, right? Is they want to start branching out these stories and expanding what the Marvel universe could be. And I mean, but that, those Marvel movies are always going to be. Look, it's all tied in together. And look, oh, there's there's uh, Star Lord. Ha ha. But it doesn't have to be if they introduce the multiverse, right? Like, where you can just be like, this is an alternate Earth, and here we go. I mean, the only thing it's we can a- hope for for that is uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Well, then Rick and Morty show up, and nobody cares about anything <laughs> ever again. No, but you know what I mean? But I'm like, if they if they explore the multiverse or whatever, they could be like, anyway, here's a film noir X-Men, and I'd be like, wee! You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And you're like, and does it tie in? Sure does. It's Earth 2704. 20XDX. No, but you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> But, like, who cares? Like, if you have the multiverse, you can, like, give, like, carte blanche to a filmmaker to just be, like, it does tie in because it's the multiverse. The, winky problem, winky. the problem is with the Marvel movies, when you do give carte blanche to a movie maker, you end up with the New Mutants. Yeah. yeah remember that cool trailer that came out two years I ago? I feel like it's still a year away. Yeah. Isn't, it, isn't it back in reshoots? Uh, they took that, and they're just like, we don't know what we've done. Let's put it in a box under the bed. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we moved. Where's that box? But... I mean, like I said, you have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which, while being an animated feature, was amazing. You know, and also explored the the ability to just 
do whatever the fuck they wanted. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And like, I mean, like, I would even position that nobody is the Spider-Man you know in that film. You know what I mean? Like, like they're like, yeah, none of them are. Mm. I was listening to uh, Wait What, a comic book podcast. Wait they, what? Exactly. Great it's actually podcast, mm-hmm. comma question mark in the title. Yeah. Wait what? Yeah. And they said that's something. another great podcast. Comma question mark. <laughs> it's all about grammar, though. That one, a little dry, a little dry. <laughs> exactly. Um, these guys came up with a great theory about why the DC universe in film, the DC cinematic universe, was sucks? doomed to fail and sucks. Because yeah. Superman sucks. Because your anchor guy is Superman, and Superman nope. sucks. No, it, they went. They went behind that. So they said the reason that Iron Man and the Marvel MCU took off. Mm-hmm was because they were able to say, starting now, Iron Man, was it 2001, 2003? Yeah, whatever the heck. We are the company that came up with these characters, and you can trust us to get them right. We have a brain trust that will safeguard our property. Yep. And yeah, X3 was terrible. And, and yeah, those Fantastic Four movies were terrible, but those were other companies. Yeah. This is Marvel. And then DC did that, and they're like, hey, look, we've got the new Wonder Woman, Batman versus Superman. Like, trust us. We're Warner Brothers, the people that brought you George Clooney, Batman, and Catwoman. Wait, no, don't. Like, we're different now. We, we promise? There's, listen, uh, listen, you can watch <laughs> the animated series and the Christopher Nolan ones. Ignore everything else. One of the Michael Keatons. Pick one. And, and, two, of the, <laughs> and two of the Nolans, because... I don't, the third one was a little know. confusing. Yeah. <laughs> third one had some issues. It was really long, and you couldn't understand what the bad guy was saying, but it's mostly good. <laughs> and and because it's it's Warner Brothers, and it's always been Warner Brothers, yeah. they don't have that... They didn't get to hit the reboot button or whatever. Hmm. Like, Cred- with credibility. Yeah. They, they couldn't say to their fan base, no, 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 no. We're the people who are going to make it right. Because they've always been the people who've crapshooted. I also... In a way, hate that the Marvel MCU has made like CUs a thing. I'm like, that's not necessary. I mean, they haven't. Comic books every 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 one of the other ones has failed miserably. I know, but they've tried. Like that's what I'm saying. I was like, why? I'm like, films are. Oh, you mean Universal? (laughs) Well, the Universal (laughs) Monsters one, the DCU one. The there was another freaking one that they... I have so many different places to take this this conversation. One, uh, we'll pick one. Okay. So one of them is Dune, which is headed for a complete fucking disaster. But I think are we saying they... that it will be a film franchise or a cinematic? Universe? Well, that's the thing. I think they're expecting to be able to turn it into a cinematic universe because okay. there's there's studio executives who are looking at this going, it has a, like the absolute cred from the sci-fi yeah. like literary environment. Mm-hmm. It has six books from the main series plus a whole bunch of expanded ones that can be sort of considered canon because they're sort of from the sun. Mm -hmm. And those guys don't understand that books 2 through 17 are completely unfilmable insanity. I mean, it would be like if you you were like to make like an Ender's Expanded Universe, you're like, like, some of it would be good, but then you're like, Speaker for the Dead, you're like, oh no. Oh no. (laughs) 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 What do we do? Wait, so they travel through time and his brother and sister come back to life a thousand years later? Yep, Uh, correct. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I I like. What was the next one after Speaker for the Dead? 
Xenocide. It was Xenocide, Speaker for the Dead, and the Children of the Mind. And Children of the Mind yeah. was the one that was royally out That's there. That's the other yeah. one. I don't know. Speaker of the Dead was the one with they, they plant seeds in little mouse cre- pig, creatures pig creatures and make them into yeah. living trees. Yeah. yeah. That does not translate well to film. I was always <laughs> the other trilogy side. Yeah. Like Shadow of the Hegemony, Under Shadow. And Those ones were good fun. Another one. Because um, there's Ender's Game and there's two. Ender's Shadow is the next one. Yeah, but there's two Shadow of the Hegemon and... The other thing is that there's a real similarity here between the cinematic universes being the like the end goal and uh, all these companies trying to do it and not making it and um, MMOs, right? It takes an enormous amount of money to start an MMO. All these companies have tried to do it and failed miserably. And like World of Warcraft is the... Oh man, you know, that model. movie was... <laughs> yeah. That was, that was supposed to launch a franchise. That did not. No. No, that's word. Dark Tower. That was another one that was supposed to take off. Didn't they mash the whole story into one movie? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't understand why oh, you wow. would do that when you. I a... did not read Ender in Exile. Really? Did you know there was an Ender film book in 2008? Ender in Exile, and is it? Um... It's, it's the four sequels, the direct sequels to Ender's Game. It's Bigger the Dead, Xenocide, Children of the Mind. Ender in Exile, 2008. Oh, you can find read. that in local Dollaramas now. If you if you go look, is it in the bookshelves? Yeah. Uh, no, Orson Scott Card is awful. Well, yeah. that I know. Yeah. But so, I mean, but was it the worst? I don't know because he's awful, and I'm not going to buy his dollar store books. Aww. It's a tough one, man. That's a like Shakespeare was probably racist as fuck, you know. If you were living in the 1500s in England, yeah, and if you're still profiting on it, I'd be really upset. Yeah, fair point. Fair Shadows point. of the Hegemon, Ender Shadow, and Shadows of the Hegemon was followed. Actually, he probably was. He puppets. wrote Othello. You know, I don't know how you could be. I mean, yeah. yeah. Merchant Whoa, he kept going with the Shadow series, too. Really? Shadow Puppets was the last one I read in 2002. Shadow of the Giant was 2005. You have completing the Bean Quartet. In conclusion, Milken. Milken old Ender for everything he's awful got. person, Orson Scott. Squeeze, squeeze. He's an awful person. And though he's written some of my favorite books in the world, I can't tell anyone to go out and buy, buy his books. Since 2001, Cards Commentary the saga. includes the political column. I love the Worthing Saga. I know you do. You're like one of the and only person I know who's read it. <laughs> I love the Worthing Saga, yeah. and he wrote one, um, the about Christopher Columbus, uh, but like a part fantasy. Yeah, it was like a yeah. time travel thing yeah. about. The, the, I don't know. The, I didn't. Uh... All, I think that one got lost in Europe. Then my copy of that book, but hmm. wonderfully smart book and kind of Mormon once you look at it through that lens. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, got got horrible. So, Card has voiced his opposition to same-sex marriage and yeah, support of laws against homosexual activity, which led critics to organize a boycott of the film version of Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Owing to political developments by the early 2010s, Card believed that the question of U.S. legalization of same-sex marriage moot. Oh, he gave up. I mean, that's nice, at least. The hateful <laughs> son of a gun. That's important. Gave up. That's okay. He describes himself as politically liberal, but morally conservative. His ideals concerning society as well as foundational themes within his fiction are often described as communitarian. You cannot say you're politically liberal and say you want to make homosexual sex illegal. It is if you consider that a moral issue. Yeah. Legal and moral are different. When you can say I disagree with it and don't like it and don't want to be deal with it, but then you say I want to make this illegal, that is not a moral question anymore. Mm -hmm. A vocal supporter of the U.S.'s war on terror. Mm -hmm. Card is basically close to neoconservatism concerning foreign policy issue. How could someone write Ender's Game and then be pro-war on terror? He also considers himself like, to be... It's a cognitive... What do they call it? Dissonance. Dissonance. Yeah. dissonance. Like, 
Like yeah. not understanding what she's saying? Believing one thing and then saying the complete opposite and yet believing yourself oh. logically consistent. In an August 2013 essay presented as an experiment, in quotations, in fiction writing called The Game of Unlikely Events, Carr described an alternate future in which President Barack Obama ruled like a Hitler or Stalin-style dictator mm-hmm. with his own national police force of young, unemployed men. Obama and his wife Michelle. Whoa, whoa. How can you be unemployed member of the police force, national police force? I mean, they were unemployed then they joined the national police force. Right. Obama and his wife Michelle would have amended the U.S. Constitution to allow presidents to remain in power for life. Just like in Hitler's Germany, Nigeria, and Zimbabwe. <laughs> Why were those other two things? <laughs> what? Orson Scott Card, you racist fool. Was it because Obama was black? <laughs> Card's essay drew extensive criticism, you think? <laughs> Zimbabwe? Like, that was never even in the equation. That's a whole other country. People were always talking Kenya. What the <laughs> fuck? Cards as they drew extensive criticism, especially for allusions to Obama's race with its reference to urban gangs, which Obama had control over. Of course he does. Naturally. Ugh, <sighs> uh, man, now I can't go and read those Sanders books. Right? He's a, mo- he's a bad person. Can I steal them? No. I think no. you can. Well, you can steal them, but you can never tell anyone that you read them. Mm. Stay tuned later in 90s where I tell people that I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and get condemned for it. No, I stole them. I thieved it. Um, uh, are we all watching Stranger Things 3? Is that uh, Just the, the first process. episode. Second episode I finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like four or five episodes in. Thoughts? Um, I'll just go with what I have because I only saw the first one. So, yeah. so John I, can I was pretty disappointed with it. I thought that there was like a, like an energy, a tone to the whole show that was dialed up to 11. So I felt like it was too much and I was getting bombarded by this stuff. I really appreciated the slow pace of the first season. Mm-hmm. It felt like they were like, obviously the first episode is just setting things up. Where is everybody yeah. at the start of the summer? Obviously it's just a setup episode. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm like tuning it, out here, but unimpressed. I would say that it is ratcheted. Yeah. Which, I mean, but that's... Like... By the time you get to the second episode, yeah. you get into some 80s horror elements. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, in uh... a way that I don't even think that... I feel like the the first two seasons kind of touched on the, the like more cult horror. Mm-hmm. And the, the second episode, at least, was like almost splatterhouse horror. And I was cool. like, ooh, that's mm-hmm. not yeah. something I usually see in Stranger Things. Yeah, and, and I mean... That keeps going. That is not a second episode thing. Like, it is, like, like the gore and the, like, kind of, like... Splurchiness. Yeah. Like, is is ratcheted way up in the hmm. season. And there is, like... It seems... Like, I, I agree that it is, like, turned up. But, yeah. I mean, but I think that you... You kind of... You, you get stuck in this spot where you, like... You can't keep to. doing Stephen King stuff and... Yeah, like, how many like times can it be, like, creepy and just beneath the surface lurks the lurker? Sure, sure. <laughs> You know, like... Uh, like the, the Foley guys look like they're having a great time. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. squeezing buckets of mud together. <laughs> without, uh, like, without necessarily spoiling any plot yeah. points, the this season seems to be the threat... I mean, even, you can even kind of see it in the first episode. Like, it's much more present. Mm-hmm. It's not a, like... What will this thing do if it breaks through? You're like, it's already kind of here. Yeah. You know, like it's like it's not a, it's not really a, let's stop it and keep it on the other side. You're like, it's kind of found a way to mess with things right now. Right, it's like a splatterhouse, grindhouse kind of yeah vibe yeah. that I'm getting off it. Yeah, and oh my goodness, man, like they do a good job of kind of like I think like tricking your brain into thinking that that's what those kids always sort of look like. But, man, you watch early stuff. Like, there's a flashback, I think, in season, episode two. Oh. Where, episode 
I would just watch episode two. There's no flashback. Uh, three. Maybe episode three. Anyway, it's just a character. It's just like a fond memory, like flashing back to the first D&D game of episode one. And you're yeah. like, they're babies. Look <laughs> at these little babies playing D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Four years ago? Five years ago? Yeah, it's. I think it's but kids it's like, go from like, nine to thirteen. Yeah, that's that's a, that's it's, a, it's a big change. It's an actual change. four years, and I think it's an in time three years. I think I want to say like it's. They all uh, went through puberty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I mean, then they kind of address that too. They're like they're teenagers now, and I guess like you were super meant to believe they're like thirteen to fourteen or so. Right. But yeah, like holy crap! But like, but the show does a really good job. I think with like the costuming, and I guess the actors do a good job of like you're like they aren't that much older. Like they definitely poor, look like teenage- poor Will Byers has not gotten a new haircut. Yeah, but he's much taller. But you know, like, like they they absolutely seem to be older versions of themselves. But like, mm-hmm. it's not like they suddenly like became different people. Like, Is it good? You guys happy? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely like I'm in it to like finish it. It's mm-hmm. I think we powered through. I want to say the first four, maybe first five, in like less than a week or two. Yeah, I'm into it. Uh, Internet's hate on Hopper thoughts. I think that he's, he's being a normal. He's a big dad. tool bag yeah. in the first episode. I feel like his. And he's his, a big tool bag in the second episode. It's, it's it's so cranked up. I feel like it's it's like a mind control thing, or there's going to be some other plot line about him not being right in the head. That's I gonna, agree, possibly, yeah. potentially. I think that like I was talking about this with a uh, guest at 90s, Sam, mm-hmm. uh, and she was like, "Man, she's like, I don't know, like he's a big jerk." But I was like, "Can we?" I was like, "But I think part of the thing that maybe we have as viewers given Hopper a bit of a free pass that he's a bit of a screw up." Like, I'm like, he is, let's be fair, choosing to live in this hunting shack. Like, he makes a real person's salary Mm -hmm. and lives like a hobo. (laughs) Like, I'm like, there are... Drinks beers, eats hunger man dinners. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, Hopper has his own, like, set of issues that I think he's never really dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I think that, sure, having a kid making out with your adopted daughter all the time might, like, set off 80s cop... After after your first marriage has dissolved, after the death of your first daughter, you might be a douchebag to your yeah adopted exactly. Daughter. You're like you're like and and certainly even as the show progresses, he retains that like good under pressure <clears throat> element. But I'm like, I think David Hopper might have always been a douchebag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the scene with the mayor, yeah, right. Like that's he is a decent person who is kind of also a fat fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's like season two stuff. Well, in mm-hmm. the, in the first season, in season one, like. Hopper's kind of a douchebag when people are calling to say, you know, this person went missing. Will has has disappeared. He's like, fuck, leave me. He's like, get off the phone. Like, whatever. Yeah. Leave me alone. I haven't, do not talk to me until I've had my coffee. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, I was like, I feel that his day-to-day life might be that he's a bit of a jerk. Just good under pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's potential. Like, and then, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's also, the, I think there's also a bit of a, it's 1983 or whatever the heck it is. You're like. 86. Uh, 87. No, 86. No, no, no. The, season 3 is 1986. Lies. <clears throat> I promise you that because the Nike release of the 1986 Stranger Things crossover shoes all say 1986 on them. Really? Well, and they are gorgeous and I want a pair. Oh, man. Well, the series is set in the summer of 1985, Nike. Someone didn't do your R&D. Season 3 is 1986. Literally reading Stranger Things season 3 set in the summer of 1985. Google, when did New Coke get released? When did New Coke get released? I'm going to do this by speed. Listener, when wait with bated breath here for these Google searches. That's okay. It's minute 54. Ain't nobody listening. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's already at work. Sneakers might say 1985. I don't remember. 100% yeah. anymore. New Coke got released in April 1985. Yeah, the sneakers totally say 1985, too. I'm remembering them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, 
Did you want to rank Venom? Because I also have a movie oh, to yeah. watch. Sure, yeah. Let's put that on the list. Me... Yeah, then we'll, we'll finish up with the thing that I saw. I, I recommend Venom. Yeah. If, if, if you guys are fine. It's a little bit dark. It's R-rated, I think, not so much for like sexual content so much as the symbiote eating people, mm-hmm. which is fun. I won't eat people anymore. I eat somebody. <laughs> is there any whisper of them doing Carnage? Like, you'd think there'd be... That's the uh, people scene of Carnage. Like, hoping for edgy, villainous Spider-Man content. Yeah, but, like, but edgy, edgy villainous Spider-Man content is yeah. really Venom. Like, Carnage is way too over the top to make any <laughs> sense. Guess nope, who's but... playing Carnage? Guess who's playing uh, Cletus Cassidy in uh, the post credit scene? Who is playing Cletus Cassidy? Johnny Knoxville. Oh man, that'd be really good. <laughs> but no, think more more Hollywood, uh, Hollywood redneck. Hollywood Larry the Cable Guy. No. David Spade. No, bigger star. Bigger star. Bigger star. Bigger star like like redneck style? Yeah. Come on. Give us another clue. Yeah. Mickey and Mallory. Mickey and Mallory. Oh no shit, really? Um uh Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson. Fucking right. They put him in a red wig and put yeah. him in a prison cell. Okay. I don't know, man. I thought he was like a young guy. He's a serial killer. Yeah, doesn't, I matter. Guess it doesn't matter. I'm saying like below Top Gun. Uh, below Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. It's, it's, what number is that? I mean, he skis downhill in a jungle. Yeah. <laughs> Out of a plane, <laughs> too? Out of a plane into the jungle? We're, we're into the like low 70s. Mask of Zorro. Like, you do not seem to be in the love with The pointy end. Closest the other man. Like, Jurassic oh. World might be the right zone. Where's Jurassic World? 80, 79. That's the Lost Worlds. No, Jurassic World. Okay, yeah, that's about right. Chappie? Maybe, maybe even below that. Chappie is a little smarter. Ocean's 8, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Solo, a Star Wars. Yeah, there show. it is, right there. Right above Solo, right below Ant-Man and the Wasp. Nailed it. And so. that's, about, that's about the right tone for it, too. Hmm. It's like, what if Ant-Man and the Wasp had a little bit of cannibalism in it? Hmm. A little, um, little bit of, like... Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy running around eating rotten chicken out of the trash can. Nice. So I saw a movie that John... John? Mm-hmm. I saw a movie that Scott was very excited for. See? I fixed the sentence. Great. Uh, I watched Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm. Oh, man. I haven't watched that yet. The wife is totally uninterested. Really? It's going to be a hard sell to get her to watch this film because it clocks in at two hours and 20 minutes and is very slow-paced. But is it good? Yes. Is it great? No. Hmm. Um, so this comes from Drew Goddard, who we looked up a little bit earlier. And so this is the guy who was the creator of the Daredevil uh, television series, which mm-hmm. means that he also was responsible for Daredevil season one, which is like the great one. Probably the best Marvel hmm. show. Hmm, Jessica Jones one. I would put Daredevil over Jessica Jones 1. Jessica Jones 1 is really hinging on Purple Man. Yeah. Like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I would put it as my number two. But, like, Daredevil Season 1 made me care about a character I don't care about. Like, and, and made me care about cast members I don't care about. Like, okay, maybe. anyway. So, that's anyway, yeah, sure. uh, I'm just, uh, you're thinking. Season like, 3 is close, but Season 1 is good. Extremely good. Uh, superstar cast. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Dakota Johnson, Jeff Bridges, Cynthia Erivo, John Hamm. Lewis Pullman, Kylie Spaney, uh, and and what's his name? The guy who plays the priest, Jeff Bridges. Jeff right? Bridges. Uh, Nick Offerman is in a hmm. kind of like little bit role. Uh, is there anyone else kind of famous kicking around here? What's the setup? 
So the setup is, is there is a hotel that borders on the uh, California and Nevada border. Mm-hmm. There's like a big, a big state line. Red, red line goes down the middle of it. There's like parking lot. There's like rows of rooms on one side, rows of rooms on the other side, and then the main lobby building is on the other side. It's kind of cool, like inside. Set design is like beautiful and amazing. It takes place in 1969. looks mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, and there used to be... Uh, like it, the El Royale used to be like a, a very cool spot to go because it was the closest place you could go to gamble mm-hmm. in California because it's right there. on the state line. Right, that's yeah. it. And it's like it's funny too. Like even the lobby, like whatever. And but then apparently like legislation changed or whatever, so you couldn't. Uh, they lost their gambling license or whatever. But it's like if you look at like the lobby or whatever, like one side, like California is just like there's like the restaurant or whatever, and then in Nevada it's just slot machines and like <laughs> roulette tables and all that stuff. Like the lobby's even like that's awesome. split in half. Super cool. So anyway, so uh, John Ham shows up. Uh, the first people I think to check in are uh, John Ham. Uh, why did I blank on her name? Dakota Johnson. Johnson. Dakota Johnson and could have been Jeff Bridge. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges all come to check in. John Hamm appears to be some kind of a vacuum salesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cynthia Erivo shows up. She's a singer. Uh, Dakota Johnson is just a woman who is looking for a place to stay. And Jeff Bridges is a priest. And they're like, we would all like a room. Jeff Bridges is like, I need to have room number five or whatever. So on and so forth. Everything spirals out of control and it goes crazy. So it turns out everybody kind of has a dark mm-hmm. past. I mean, how spoilery do you mind? I don't know. Just a little. Uh, a little spoilery is fine. The, okay, so, I've seen the trailer, and the yeah. trailer implies a lot of the That there's dark some past. superficial or supernatural element. Not supernatural, no. no. But no. that everyone there is not who they present themselves right, as. Right, yeah. exactly. That's it. So it turns out, like, so I think, like, the first what is happening moment is kind of great. So, like, so all of a sudden, John Hamm is like, I need to be in the honeymoon suite or whatever. And they all have, like, kind of like these, like, well, not the, all of them. Him and the priest have, like, vaguely specific things and like john ham is like very over the top and like ah, i'll sell like vacuums and moving on and blah, blah 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 so then he gets to the honeymoon suite and then immediately starts goes in like as soon as he gets there and starts like pulling open switch boxes and stuff and pulling out wiretaps and like like sound bugs or whatever mm-hmm. but then he's like he reaches in like into like the phone or whatever and then like pulls out a second one and then he's like what now <laughs> and then goes through the entire room and you see like a row of like the one type of wiretap or like bug, bug. And then a row of the other type, and he's like, "What is happening?" And you're just like, and as of a film for you're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like that's like moments like that are like kind of amazing in the movie, where you're like, "What is even going on?" So, and again, I won't necessarily spoil exactly what is happening at the hotel, but like something is happening at the hotel. The FBI thought they had a vested interest in it. And they don't have a vested interest in it. The Jeff Bridges character was a criminal who, 15 years earlier. Uh, told his brother to bury a uh, a bag of cash under the floorboards, mm-hmm. but he's kind of dealing with like legitimate like Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So he messed up the rooms. <laughs> so he's like now he needs to get into the singer's room. The bellboy is like a war veteran type who is also on heroin, so he's kind of useless. The two girls are uh, one of them is like heavily brainwashed by like a Charlie Manson style person, so. One sister has kidnapped the other sister and is trying to, like, get her head clear. As soon as she gets loose, she char- calls up the Charlie Manson type and whatever. So then, like, the Charlie he Manson shows character up. shows up. So it's just, like, everything just keeps, like, tick, 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 like piling on top of itself. Uh, something that's kind of cool is, like, they'll show something that happens in a room. 
and then they'll like kind of like cut back in time and show something that happens in another room so that it like puts more stuff into context so they mess around with time a lot. I think <laughs> there is an incredibly good like hour 45 move film in this. I think at 2:20 it runs a little too long, gets a little too messy like <clears throat> there's there's a there's a tight cut of it where you're like what is happening and you'd be like super excited but instead you end up with like really long plotting scenes where I think you want I think Drew Goddard probably wants these like tense like opening scene of Tarantino style like uh, Christoph Waltz like with the people under the floorboards kind of like stuff and you're like it never quite gets there Mm -hmm. like some some movies are Inglorious Bastards other movies are Pulp Fiction sometimes you just have to put the pedal to the metal and keep it yeah 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 exactly that's it like yeah there's like a lot of scenes where you're like you have this like plodding tension where I was like mixed with mixed success. Like you can see what they're going for. Mm-hmm. And I think that at like at two twenty, it like you're like you've you don't have Do you remember we saw a movie of Fantasia that had Mark Hamill and Tony Todd in it and it was like a bunch of criminals end up having dinner sushi party or something like that. Sushi girl. Sushi no was yeah, it sushi, sushi girl? Because yeah. there's the naked girl on the where they eat the sushi off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny Trejo's in it. Anyway, it, they try to do the same thing. It's like scenes that fail to have the tension that they think yeah. that they're projecting. I mean, I think it succeeded more than Sushi Girl. Okay. Like, okay. and the acting is, like, way better. Super, yeah. super yeah. good. And uh, Chris Hemsworth is, is the, the is like the Charlie Manson mm-hmm. type. And he does a real good job as it. It's the first time you kind of see him as a scumbag. Hmm. Like, you don't really usually think of him. Can rank this bad boy? Absolutely. I mean, worth watching. Yeah. Uh, the trailer, like I said, the, tra- the trailer presents it to be a lot closer to kind of like a Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Because what happens... What what happens... It looks like a, a, what if Tarantino had some Baby Driver flash to it. Maybe. But like, but what ultimately happens is um, that it, like, it never gets to like Tarantino levels of cool and like... And then also like the splashes of violence are like very like quick and done. Like... Mm-hmm. Like, like someone will get shot, and it's like, bang, and then they're dead, and then it calms down again. You know? And you're like, okay, so that wasn't quite the, like, the Tarantino style, like, oh, no, all hell is broken loose, and it's off the rails. You're like, nope, now let's all go back down to sitting around and talking. Even so let, let's talk ceiling. Like, Baby Driver? Below at, Baby at Driver. number 60. Um, Pacific Rim at 68. Hmm. Pacific Rim, I would put it. Maybe. All right, so we're writing around. Uh, Bird I'm like, box. I'm looking lower. I'm like looking into the good ideas missed execution area, which is my like Evil Dead kind of zone. Mm-hmm. Then I see Star Wars. <laughs> Solo. Let's let's hit a, a a floor then, like Crush Groove. I mean, it's above Crush Groove. And I mean, Bumble- like Bumblebee. <sighs> It's above Bumblebee. There we go. Like I mean, like it's it, we're in the zone here. Um, yeah. Bumblebee currently sitting at number Star nine. Star Wars probably. solo story might be way too high, y'all. Yeah. He was fine. <laughs> like, well, look what it's around. It's rubber. around like life and yeah. But Star I'm like, Trek I'm looking. I'm looking that I would like I would potentially put 
Karate Kid above Solo if I had to like remove this right now because at least Karate Kid was Karate Kid and it wasn't just telling you a pretty bad movie. movie. I mean, it wasn't just telling you about a movie that you already knew, which was what Solo was. Yeah. Not even a movie. A Solo was like the alphabet song of films. Yeah. Like you. Oh, we're not going to get to talk about it, but the Red Letter Media guys they did a really good prediction video before Solo and before Star Wars Episode Eight and before Star Wars Episode Seven, saying mm-hmm. what they thought it was going to happen. And they did an enormous prediction video about what's going to happen for the next <laughs> Star Wars. And they have said th- that what's going to happen, what they're all leading up to, what all of this is going to be, is going to be a time travel episode. Where that's why nobody's ever truly dead. That's how they're going to bring back the Emperor. They're going to bring back Luke. They're going to bring back all this shit. Because they, they like don't know what to do with Star Wars and all their characters are fucking dead. Don't do it. And it almost makes sense. They're like bad enough storytellers. The guys, the guys who are writing the movie, okay, mm-hmm. it's J.J. Abrams, who we're all familiar with, okay, good mm-hmm. stuff, and the guy who wrote Batman v Superman and uh, Superman Returns. Zack Snyder? The, no, no, no. The guy who wrote them. I mean, there's a time travel in that. Yep. Why would you get rid of Ryan Johnson, the guy who wrote Looper, one of the best time travel? Because he wrote episode eight. Ryan Johnson went all rogue. Total disaster. Which I think was still good. (laughs) Okay. Um, Like, above or below Uh, Star Wars solo story is kind of where I'm seeing it. Like, it had less Star Wars in it. But, I mean, like, I think that, like, it would be below Ocean's 8 from what you were saying. (laughs) Let's let's read what John wrote about solo, Solo. No creative talent working on any of this stuff. They're so petrified of fucking it up. Literary cowardice. <laughs> Do you feel like this movie that Bad Times at the El Royale suffered from literary cowardice? No. There you go. Put it above Solo. <laughs> there but then, you go. But, then, but now, see, like... As a collective criticism. Then, so I think it actually goes below Ocean's 8. Okay. Because right. when I see Ant-Man and the Wasp, mediocrity, mediocre in a complimentary way. Hard in 2019 to show audiences something they haven't seen before. Right, like, Venom is right underneath that right now. So, right underneath that, that fits. That fits that. <laughs> yeah, because it's that, like so. I think that Bad Times at the El Royale, like I was telling John this earlier, would you could potentially restage it as a stage play where it would blow you away if you saw this mm-hmm. thing like mm-hmm. in a theater. Like the the framing of it is such that like you could kind of if you had a, a hotel room set, then you could kind of maybe rechange to be like the different rooms because all the rooms are. Mm-hmm. Similar but different. Yeah, like have different the... different curtains indicate each different room. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Then you'd have like a lobby, and then you'd have maybe like a front of stage where occasionally there'd be flashbacks, like in the desert or whatever. Like the odd, the odd little flashback. Like as a stage piece, I would be like, "This is the greatest play I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. As a film, it doesn't quite like hit the hit the hit the notes that it should. So Oof. yeah, there it goes. A below Ocean's Eight because I probably think Ocean's Eight probably had better twists. There was also like for all of its promises of twists like other than the only twist that it kind of pulls off is that which i do applaud it for is that it has like the bravery to be like yeah when you're in the scenario where there's a bunch of people and they're all kind of bad people and there's a gun sometimes someone just gets killed and it doesn't matter who the actor is and it doesn't matter how important you think they are sometimes it's just like bang and you're like whoa that guy's gone (laughs) and then like the story just continues moving forward with like his story arc is just abruptly over you know or hers i guess like it happens it happens to members of both genders, but it's like, yeah, you have a bunch of bad That's people fair. with guns, like... Some of them are going to die. Yeah, exactly. We're not all going to get out of this, like, weird perpetual Mexican standoff thing. I mean, that, that like, is Tarantino-esque if you think about Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, a bunch of them get shot. Mm-hmm. Ah, 
Closing comments, closing thoughts. I mean, that is the closing comment. At some point, we all get shot. Hi, thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just, you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you can get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. 9to5.cc. <laughs> Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.